Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. This is Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts, and today you are going to deep dive with me into a recent event that I've completed, and we are going to go through the entire event process and share the learnings along the way. I've broken this down, this process, into seven steps, and so we are going to really get into it today. So excited to share it with you, and here we go. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. All right. Welcome everyone to the Better Events Podcast again today. So today you are just with me, Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts, me, myself, and I. Um, We are sending good vibes to Logan, who is working on an awesome event today. And so wishing her well and excited to hear about it. I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it because I'm pretty sure we're going to have an episode when she comes back so that she can debrief it because it's pretty cool. So uh, good vibes to Logan. And so today we, Logan and I, we chatted and we thought it would be really fun to take this opportunity to really deep dive into an event that I recently completed. And so today uh, we're going to talk about the event planning process, breaking it down into digestible steps and things that I learned along the way. And this episode is great for event planners, producers, or managers who just really want to get in on someone else's process, which I think is sometimes hard to get that knowledge and the opportunity to hear somebody else's process. So I'm happy to share mine with you and you can take tidbits Um, from it that you might enjoy. And this is also a great listen for any new event professionals who aren't sure how to structure an event and their client services. So with that in mind, here we go. We'll just go ahead and get started. So to to set the stage for this event, we are going to dive into a fundraising event which I know is not a shocker. (laughs) I talk a lot about fundraising events Um, and it's a virtual event. It was for a local organization and it happened this year. So if you're not into fundraising events, please don't tune out. And here's why. An event is an event. You have a timeline, you have project management, you have vendor management and rehearsals, show calling, post-event work, and so much more. And the same applies for all of these events. And so I invite you as you listen to find bits and pieces that do apply to your event planning process. So this event had to happen quickly. So for a number of outside factors, the organization that I was working with wasn't ready to start planning the event until about a month before their event day. So I decided to choose this event specifically to talk about today because it was an expedited process but it was still super successful. So yes, it is possible to plan an event quickly. In this case, for a fundraiser, there were a few key things that had to be in place to make it a successful event in this short amount of time. So the first thing was that the organization had a team that was willing to be involved. So that really helped set up this scenario for success. We needed the team's quick input and introduction of resources that we could utilize, like providing us with branding, graphics, communication lists so that we could conduct their event communications like invites and e-blasts and so on. Um, So there were certain assets that we needed from the organization and they provided those to us. So that was the first thing that 
really set us up for success. And the second thing was that the organization's executive director was on top of sponsorship. So for fundraising events, um, sponsorship, which is also known better known as partnerships, they are key to helping the organization have success in that event. And so they were already securing those. So boom, we have sponsorships. So that was great. The third thing that was in place that really helped set us up for success was that the organization had done consistent events before. So whether virtual or in person. So their audience was already familiar with the idea of an event for their organization. And as a note, um, they were also familiar with the virtual event setting. So in fact, EP Events, my company, had had the pleasure of helping with their virtual event the prior year as well. So this was a, a repeat client. So the combination of these things set us up for success in a short amount of time. And there have been instances um when I'm putting together, for example, like a proposal for an organization that doesn't have these things in place or doesn't have a team with the capacity to provide assets quickly or things like that. So we have to push out the timeline a little bit more. And um, so this isn't me saying, you know, if that's you or if you work with organizations or companies like that, where maybe they're a little bit more at capacity, I'm not saying that they're not set up for an event. You just might need some more time to really do the best that you can do at that job. And so for this event, we had those key things in place. And I think that is what helped set it up for so much success. So we've set the stage. So let's now go back a little bit more. So in this episode, like I mentioned before, we're really breaking down the process. I've broken it down into seven steps. And so we're going to go through those today. So how did I book this event? This was, like I said, a repeat client, which is the best by the way, repeat client work is such an honor because they've chosen to work with you again, but the organization had completely new leadership. And I don't know how this keeps happening, but I keep getting involved with organizations that are going through a leadership change. It's happened four times now for four different events. And so it's just something that I've almost gotten used to like navigating through that piece as well when we're planning. And so that's just I kind of a tidbit to, to know as we're talking about this event. So I'm going to, like I said, break down the entire event process and steps. So you'll he hear me number them. So listen for those numbers. And so here we go. The first thing that happened for this event is that they reached out to me about the, an event that they wanted to do. So we scheduled what I like to call a discovery call, which is of no cost to them. And we meet for 30 minutes to an hour and they share their hopes and dreams about the event as well as their capacity. And during this meeting, we go through my new client checklist I have, which is an internal checklist for EP events. And we try to get these answers um, during the discovery call meetings. So the, the types of things that we try to cover are like, what's your current plan? What are you hoping for? And this is uh, me asking the client these questions. So this is how this discovery call for this fundraising event was conducted. So we asked them also like, what's your dream involvement? And I love asking this of like the key leader of this project or this event, because a lot of the times they're like, honestly, I would like to be as hands off as possible. I'm like, well, thank you. That is actually really great to know because as I create the proposal, I'm going to need to keep that in mind. Um, so I think that asking them what their dream involvement is, is a great question. So and then, of course, EP events is events with a purpose. So we have to ask what the purpose of their event is. <laughs> are they what are they fundraising for? If it's a fundraiser, um, where does the money go? 
who is their audience, and then also what level of support do you have? I would say that is another very key question because I want to know what the team's strengths are, if they have a team, who we have access to. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, also knowing who their audience is. How many people do they hope to have attend this event? Are they charging a ticket price? I hope they are, but that's probably <laughs> a different topic for another day. Um, but so it's really important to kind of understand these key questions and also asking like things like, what services are you looking for specifically? What's your budget? Maybe they will tell you. Um, preferred method of communication. I like asking that just because then right off the bat, you're kind of getting to them the right way, especially during an event like this where it's an expedited process. So I know if maybe email isn't actually the best way to get a hold of them. That is important to know. Um, the timeline, like how fast we need to get moving, and then when I will get the proposal to them. So after we kind of go over all these questions that I have, and then of course, any any concerns or questions or just anything that they'd like to share with me or get to know more about me, we go over those things as well. But I try to get these key questions answered so that I can uh, curate a proposal. So that's kind of the goal for me. So I tell them that I'm going to create a specific proposal for them based on their needs and send it to them by a certain date. So that helps keep me accountable and also helps the timeline continue to move along. So the goal in, the, in this discovery meeting is to make sure that we're all speaking the same language so that we don't have holes anywhere and we all understand the vision for their event. And then, like I said, I can use all that to put a proposal together. So a side note, just in case you're wondering if you're listening, I do custom proposals. Some people don't do that. I do, and that's part of the client experience that I like to provide. So there are ways to streamline that, but I like putting together custom proposals. So um, this leads us to our second step, which is to create the proposal. So I, I create, I have kind of a, um, a draft that I like to use over and over again, and I just cater it based on the specific needs that I need to add or take out. Um, or any specific things I need to um, add in based on what they have asked me to do in addition are their needs. And so I send it over to the organization when it's ready. Then we negotiate if needed, and then they sign the contract, and then we begin. And so that leads us then to our third step, which is scheduling a recurring meeting. So for this event, since we had such a short amount of time to plan, it was a weekly recurring meeting. But if you have more time, you could do biweekly meetings or something else. My quick advice to you, though, is if you put this into your proposal, just make sure that, you know, the next thing you know that you might be spending a lot of significant amount of your time in these meetings. And so you as the planner know what needs to happen to make this event a success, which means that you can sort of guide these meetings in an efficient way. So I would suggest building that into your proposal so that you know how many meetings and how much time you're spending on meetings specifically, or else next thing you know, you're going to have a ton of them. So have a recurring meeting. So for this event, um, we cover topics in these meetings like the structure of the event, the program, who the speakers were, the marketing timeline. And, you know, this is broken up like week after week, of course. Not all of it is discussed at the same time. Um, it's based on the timeline. But um, update on sponsorship, day of roles and expectations, and just other things like that, <laughs> part of the process. So in each meeting, um, I presented a timeline that I created for the event from the beginning, and we kind of base the agenda off that and prioritize based on the order of events for the event. Um, 
And so I'm going to kind of go over this since we have, you know, the time to be able to do so today on this podcast a bit more in case anyone is interested. So um, I have a list that I go off of for these meetings and for the timeline. And the timeline I create is, you know, it's pretty much the same for most events. It has some key moments in the timeline that I use over and over again. And so just to kind of give you an idea, I'm not going to go through this whole timeline, but I'm going to like shoot some stuff off. So if you create your own timeline for events, you can think, oh, do I include that in my timeline? Should I? And so uh, just kind of think about this as I list some random things off and I'm going to go like rapid fire here. So confirm program content and order, book videographer, set up registrations and donations on the platform, select an event platform, make program speaker asks, sign up for said platform, save the date posted on social media, save the date sent on MailChimp, if you use MailChimp or some other type of e-blast um, platform or software, make sure the website is updated, finalize the sponsorship packet, confirm any pre-committed gifts, which is really important for fundraisers. Um, and then as you get closer to the event, things like finalizing speakers, assignments made for day of event, make sure graphics are all finalized, um, communication, reminders to guests. And then once again, even closer, you get to the event, you have your where your finalization of program, your internal rehearsal, your full rehearsal, contingency plan set, day of role set, and then just other things that you need to do to get ready for the day of. So anyway, those are just some random things that are on my timeline. And so those, that is what I'm looking at when I have these weekly recurring meetings, making sure that we are, we know what's coming and we know what maybe we should have already completed that hasn't been completed. So it's essentially project management. This is what the recurring meetings are. Um, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what else they are, but we're not quite there yet. So <laughs> that is the third step. The fourth step is actually doing the work, which is what I was just hinting to. So if the timeline says by this week, we need to have graphics completed so that we can start sending e-blasts to potential guests, then um, we need to follow up with the graphic designer um, who they had in this case. In this case, for this event, they had a graphic designer that was creating the graphics. So my role for that was to follow up with them and let them know the assets that we needed. And so, um, like I said, this fourth step is essentially project management. Um, but also actually doing the work. So for some examples, I needed to, for this event, I needed to be connected with speakers three weeks before the event so that I could introduce myself and start scheduling individual tech checks. So mass tech checks, they work too, um, but there was few enough speakers for this event that I could give individual attention to each speaker. And um, this, by the way, is anyone that would be physically speaking at the event. So that might be hosts, MCs, or the organization representative, board members, and then the actual program speakers, like like elected officials or people like that, your keynote if you have one, um, sponsors. So anyone who's actually going to be speaking at the event ever and isn't pre-recorded, then I want to have a tech check with them. And so that's what we did for this event. So remember, for this event, it's a virtual event. And so we did these tech checks on the StreamYard because that is where we hosted the virtual event. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but um, we're, right now we're talking about doing the work. So another example of doing the work is tracking sponsorship to make sure that sponsors have received their benefits in the event promotions and in the planned program. So a huge bit of time was spent on building out this auction platform because for fundraisers, for virtual fundraisers, 
auction platforms or donation platforms are really important for certain types of fundraisers because they need to collect donations before the event, during the event, and even after the event and engage guests as they donate. So if they integrate their uh, donation platform with their donor database, that is even better. But for that reason, it's really important that for fundraising events, you select a good auction or donation platform that makes sense. Um, you also then have to build it out once it's selected. And so for me, that was that was my role. And so we did this for this event. And you really lean on your run of show to kind of help build it out. Um, a run of show is also something else that when we're talking about doing the work is a huge piece of it. Run of shows, they, they, they take time. And over time, you know, you'll have a template and it speeds the process along. But creating a run of show is something else that was done for this event and does take a significant chunk of time. So we do have a run of show template. I think we've talked about it before. You know, we've had an episode in the past here on the podcast. It has been earlier in our show. I'll link it here in the show notes, but it was an episode all about run of shows. And we did mention in that, that there's a run of show that I continue to use that Logan actually created. And I think it's awesome. And so we may or may not be willing to send that template to you if you email us at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And once again, I'll link that email in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in learning more about run of shows, take a listen to that episode. So once you have, you have all your assets, your event is built out in the platform. So you're pretty much ready to go. So the fifth step is conducting those tech checks and rehearsals. So for me, tech checks start happening two to three weeks prior to the event and the rehearsal happens one to two days prior to the event. So let me just say, it's going to be easy to want to scratch the rehearsal. People are busy. It's hard to coordinate speaker schedules, but please, please, please do a rehearsal with as many people as possible that are involved in the program and the back end of your event. It is so important. And there have been a drastic difference in events I've been a part of that have had rehearsals versus ones that haven't for virtual events and arguably for in-person events as well. So do the rehearsal. And for the rehearsal for this event, we focused in a lot on transitions of the program. So we ran through everything as if it was real and set the expectation at the beginning that we were going to do it that way so that we could see each transition. So we wanted everyone to to go like the run of show and the script said, and like the show must go on. And then if something really went amiss, I would come on and stop them. We would talk about what went wrong and then pick up where we left off. So we tried to make it as real as possible so that they can really see those transitions. Um, I think as a lot of us have seen in virtual events, that dead airtime is is bad. It's awkward. And so having those transitions down is super important so that speakers know when they're supposed to go on and be live. So my role in the rehearsal was providing everyone with the flow in the program ahead of time and then running the production and back end of the technical piece. So like I said, if anything went wrong, that's also where I would kind of chime in and lead lead the rehearsal in that sense. So for this event, we use StreamYard, like I've said, and I love StreamYard. <laughs> I think we talked about it a fair amount, but I can't recommend it enough for certain events. So because it's a newer platform for some, 
it's by the way, it's a streaming platform. So though it might look, you know, to viewers, just like, for example, they're watching a YouTube video or something like that. The back end is very different because you're streaming from StreamYard to a different platform such as YouTube. And so there's a brief learning curve for speakers. So once again, rehearsal is so important. So we show the speaker StreamYard in that rehearsal. And so we show them, you know, where the chat is, what everything looks like, where they can talk to us if they need us. So that means that I have all my assets like the graphics, the music, the videos loaded into StreamYard ready to go for the rehearsal. So if you're not familiar with StreamYard, definitely check it out. There's a free version and you can click around and it's fun. And also um, that's where we record this podcast. So shout out to StreamYard. So, okay. So we've made sure everyone who needs to be is familiar with the back end of the virtual event production. The last thing that we do in this step is send out an email to all speakers and the team and remind them of anything they need to know and their arrival times for the day of. So we call this the know before you go. And we send a similar version to guests as well so that they also have everything that they need to know so that they can access the event. So then that leads us to what I'm actually calling is step 5.5 because I want to touch on it. We're not going to talk about it too much, but I do want to touch on it. And that is contingency plans. This is where if you haven't already, which honestly by now it probably should have been in place, is conducting and figuring out your contingency plans for the event. So that's if something goes wrong, what are you going to do? So that's kind of going through those like doomsday what if scenarios just so that you can have a backup plan and make sure that other people who are involved in the event know that plan as well. So that's like, okay, if something happens to this platform right now, what are we going to do? Like if something happens to StreamYard stops working, what are we going to do? So we had a plan for that. Um, We were going to use like Zoom as a backup. And once again, this is like worst comes to worst we were going to use Zoom as backup and we had like a link and everything ready to go and the guest list ready in case we needed to send out any last minute communications. Um, and then also I, it was important to me to provide any important assets for the production of the event to somebody else within the organization itself. Um, so that means not, I didn't, I wasn't the only one who had them, but somebody else had a copy of them as well. That was important. Um, yes, they all were loaded in StreamYard, but if something happened to StreamYard, something else that I really like to do is have all those assets also loaded on my computer, not just living in StreamYard, but living on the desktop of my computer so that if worst came to worst, I could share my screen and we could still access that video in case it wasn't working through StreamYard, which by the way has never happened, but that was just, these are our contingency plans, like just in case we have a plan. So, um, that's 5.5. Just wanted to touch on that. So next, we have our sixth step, which is the day of the best time of the event, in my opinion. So really walking through the day of could be its own episode. So we're just going to touch on a few key things um, about this event. So this event was set to stream from StreamYard to YouTube. So guests were tuning in from YouTube. Um, We had arrival time. so So I came into StreamYard and... Then Logan, our co-host, came into StreamYard too because she actually was helping me for the day of for this event because I needed somebody else to kind of manage a piece of it while I managed another piece. So she came in the day of, which was super awesome. Love partnering on events like that. And so it was me, Logan. We had kind of the first arrival time here in StreamYard. And then the, the team came, which would be the organization. They arrived. And then the speakers began to arrive. 
And then we did final tech checks with everyone who was going to be speaking just to make sure their tech was still working and they looked good and sounded good. And then prior to this, of course, I came on and I had my run of show printed out. I had my computer plugged into an Ethernet cord because, you know, that that darn Internet, we have to make sure it's always working, especially when you're hosting an event like that in a virtual setting. So I had my Ethernet cord plugged in. Um, remove distractions, aka that means I put my cats in another room, made sure they were super happy. And then I um, put my phone on silent, muted like Slack notifications, and then got some snacks. Because once you get into it, um, if you, you know, decide to eat or get a little hungry, then it's nice to have something like super accessible. So you don't really have to leave your chair. Um, or maybe you're standing, but you don't have to leave your, your setup. Um, and then we have an internal call line. So Logan and I were on the phone with each other so that we could talk to each other. Now, this also is great during events. You can use like Discord. You could use Slack. You could use Unity. Uh, but Logan and I, since it was just us, we were on the phone. We also had a text chain going with the leads of the organization so we could communicate that way in case it's like, you know, it was their event. They might have needed to make a different call and we needed to know that so we could produce that. So that's how we talked with them. Um, and so we're all ready. The event goes live. We open virtual doors 10 minutes early. And this is something that, um, I kind of ha- got from Logan and I love it so much and I do it in virtual events. So having an opening slide or a scrolling slide deck with music in the background as people arrive virtually. And I love this because it just kind of makes that virtual arrival a little bit less awkward. They know they're in the right place. There's music playing. It's like, okay, we're here. We're going to get started shortly. And um, then the show begins. <laughs> and so we produce it. So what that looks like is I have two screens. I have my run show printed out. It's my guide living by it. Um, and then the main thing, because once again, this is a fundraiser, is keeping the host up to date with the donations coming in. So um, just, just to dive deep into this for a moment, if you're doing a fundraiser, and it's this type of virtual fundraiser where you're accepting donations during the event. It's really important that you select a platform that's going to be interactive for the guests to be able to, to showcase something as donations are coming in. So, for example, one of the ones that we used for this event was Greater Giving. Greater Giving is a really well-known event fundraising platform. It has lots of different aspects to it. It's used for multiple different types of events, but it has something really awesome where when donations are coming in, you can share your screen and you can see that thermometer rise and you can see names of the people who are donating in real time. So the important thing is that it's in real time. And so we would do kind of check-ins with this. um, But as a kind of a caveat for this actual event, we didn't actually end up sharing that screen of the thermometer um, because we felt like for this program, it was kind of going to take away actually from the program. Um, and that's a call that you can make with your organization. Some people like showing that thermometer, some people don't. But the point was that when guests were giving, they were still seeing that. We just weren't sharing it on the screen for everybody else to see too. So they still had the interactive piece. We just didn't showcase it at all times. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of throw that in there too, because it's important that when you're when you're collecting donations, that you have a way that can that can collect them live and then choose how you're going to shout those out. So for us, the executive director was the one who was like, oh, thanks so much so-and-so for this donation. So she, so she was verbally thanking, um, which was a really, really great way to 
show the appreciation. And so what that looked like is Logan there backstage, you know, we're comparing the auction platform and we're kind of typing or copy and pasting as fast as we can over to her so that she can see those donations coming in. Um, if you have a live auction controller, you can also have someone who like the host or the MC go look at that. So nobody has to message who's giving to the other person. They can just look at that page directly, but there's so much going on for this host that we provided that information to them via the chat. And so hopefully I didn't go down too much of a rabbit hole, but if that makes sense to you, that might be helpful. Um, and then the, the program commenced. And then if you can end early, people, Logan and I have said this in our podcast before, people don't complain when events end early, but they do when they end late. So end early. And I'm happy to report is that this event exceeded their fundraising goal. So um, it raised more than the previous year as well, which is super awesome. And there's a lot of contributing factors to this. And I think it, we would be remiss without saying the biggest one is just the generosity of people, right? They have chosen to give. Maybe their heartstrings were pulled during the event and during the program. I hope so. Um, but it, was, it isn't without the generosity of people that that was able to happen. Sponsorships also helped make that happen, as well as what I like to hope is a well-produced show. And so those combination of things, I think, made for a really successful event. And then our last and final step, our seventh step, is the post-event debrief. So for this event, right after Logan and I debriefed a little bit, I debriefed on my own, wrote notes while it was fresh in my head, and then we scheduled a team debrief call with the organization as well. So conduct those debriefs. And then I just want to tie this off with a bow, this process here about this whole event. And it's really nice if you can do something even a little extra once you're done, something that gives that surprise and delight element. So I love writing handwritten notes to my clients after the event that I mail to them. And it's just like, thank you so much. I really enjoyed working with you, blah, blah, blah. And that's something that's important to me. I, I like to build relationships and it's just kind of like an icing on the cake, which I hope is what it's providing. And so thank people. Um, post about the event on social media if that's something that is your vibe with your business. That's what that's the point that I then like to post about it is after the event, um, as well as giving a shout out to the organization that we were supporting. So that is kind of it in a nutshell, our seven steps for this event. Hopefully you can take tidbits that you've learned. Um, but before we go, I wanted to tie this up with lesson learns from this particular event. So I highlighted a lot of good things, but things don't always go to plan. So they aren't always good, but overall this event was a good event. And I've learned some hard lessons in other virtual events, which I really, really set this one up for success, I would say, because, and, and it will set up future virtual events for success because we've already learned those hard lessons. And so here are some lessons learned that are hopefully helpful to you. The first is to do a rehearsal. I don't know if I nailed that one down enough earlier, but do the rehearsal. Another thing is to over explain event instructions to guests. So in that know before you go guest email, just make some really clear information, um, make it concise, but also it's great to say things as simple as like, make sure you click here and then put a screenshot there so they can see exactly where they need to click to access the event. Things like that. Have the phone numbers for all your speakers. Oh my gosh, please do this. <laughs> because if somebody's running late, 
yeah, someone in the organization might have their phone number and they might be the point of contact, but you as the producer, it's really great if you have it as a backup. If it's a fundraiser, do a test donation on their donation platform before the event goes live. Sometimes it's in test mode. And so you want to make sure that it's in live mode and can select and showcase live donations. So go ahead and make a donation, make a $5 donation or see if someone from the organization will make a $5 donation. And then it just kind of gets like deducted as part of the expenses. And it, you know, it, it evens itself out. Um, but make sure that that donation is working. Platforms also, you can do an actual test donation that doesn't charge your card. But I would suggest making an actual donation to make sure the live donations are being seen. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> Um, have every asset in the back end on your actual computer. I mentioned that, but you know, just make sure you have extra like backups up on backups just in case. And then have Daya virtual event producer help if you need it. Sometimes maybe it's not necessary, but sometimes it can be way nice so that you as the lead can focus in on some other things. There you have it. We've talked about so much today, the seven steps of this particular event walking through it with you. Hopefully um, bits and pieces of it apply to you and your event experience. Now we are at the time. Yes, it is just me, myself and I today, but we still have a bonus tip. So for our bonus tip today, I will, I've said this a couple times in our past episodes. I'm trying to pull these from things that have happened lately for me. So they're a little bit more relevant in my life. So I recently got back from Europe, which was a really awesome experience to be able to go um, and especially because a lot of the European Union countries, I believe, are closing again. And so to be able to kind of go during that time when they were open was a cool opportunity. Um, I went there for a little bit of tourism, a little bit of something else as well. And so with that in mind, we were there and I ended up at a couple different venues by accident. There were tourist attractions that also had event venues inside that. So as soon as I heard that, of course, I wanted to go check those out. And um, so my bonus tip for the day is that if you were on vacation somewhere, go ahead and just check out some local venues that might be there. Like just Google them and see if there's one that's like really unique that you feel like, oh, that would be really cool to go tour while I'm here. And then you can just get a different perspective on how a venue conducts their event or what it looks like. And when in Europe, that was something that was very fun to do because a lot of times they were in super old buildings or cathedrals or really unique castles like type venues that we don't really get over here in the U.S. as much. And so take the opportunity. It's super cool if you're an event nerd like me to be able to see those other different types of venues from around the world. So I encourage that. And that's all we have for today. So thank you so much for tuning in just with me. Um, But excited to have Logan back next week. Make sure you give us a follow at Better Events Pod on Instagram and send us an email if you have any topic suggestions. We would love to hear from you and have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.